Hi, everyone. Welcome to Such Good Feeling. My name's Steve Anderson. Today, I'm talking to the singer, songwriter, and the person responsible for my favourite record of 2021. In fact, so many of my favourite records. Uh, welcome, Grace Davis from the North. How are you? From the North, I'm good. How are you? You are in the North, right? That's where your place is now. Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, I was in London for four years and then came up December 2020. So I've been here for a year now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so... I like to start these things off, uh, and obviously this is really recent for you, but um, just when you're a kid growing up, what's, what's the musical landscape of your house? What's, what are you, what's happening around you when you're growing up? So my family is not musical in the slightest. Um, I never grew up with any instruments around the house or anything like that. It was purely just, I think, listening to my parents' music in the car and stuff that that was like inspirations or anything musical around me. Um, but I, I've been on stage since I was three. I was a dancer and then I went into acting and then musical theatre. Um, and I think that's kind of where I, I picked up the singing out of all three of them. It was about when I was, maybe when I was about 14, I think Adele released 21. And I was like, ah, that's what I want to do. I want that. <laughs> um, so I, I basically taught myself piano and my parents bought me like a tiny little Casio keyboard. And I just used to sit on my, on my bedroom floor teaching myself. And I think that was the only kind of musical thing I, I had in, in my household and around me was just me sort of realizing that I, I could sing and, and picking it up. What was the soundtrack in the car then? What kind of stuff were you hearing from your parents? Oh, we had ELO, Brian Ferry, Roxy Music, The Carpenters, Simply Red, Lighthouse Family, like very much an eclectic mix. And and I think music that I would still listen to now and, and very much love. I'm a huge Brian Ferry fan. So yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And I think those, you know, I do think there's a lot of influence that comes from an early age where you're not really listening to it, but it's just kind of going in. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I had that with people like the Carpenters. Like it was just like my mum's music that would come on or um, yeah, just anything like that, that I, I now realise is a huge inspiration lyrically and things like that to, to the music I do now. Um, so yeah, I think they, they were inspirations without me realising it, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And also every performer you just mentioned then is a really good storyteller. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. And that's what I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the, when you said you, you taught yourself, it's quite interesting on this uh, podcast. I've talked to, talk to a lot of people and the story goes quite a lot. And, and similarly with me as well, is that they are self-taught. Um, and it's it's an interesting way of doing it. I mean, how did you self? I mean, what was your process of teaching yourself? So I really threw myself in at the deep end because I was like a huge Adele fan. So the first song I ever taught myself before I learned how to play chords or anything was Someone Like You by Adele. Mm. And I, I literally had no idea. I just went onto YouTube tutorials and I used to write all the like numbers or letters on the piano keys and just like learn it that way. Um, and then just mapping out songs from YouTube and then eventually had to teach myself myself chords. Um, but yeah, I, I really did throw myself in at the deep end by learning actual songs before learning the basics. But I think it, it helped me in the long run. And someone like you is quite hard as well because it's it is it's only three or four chords, but actually it's quite quite a lot of it's quite rhythmic. Yeah, isn't it? there's a lot going on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But I, I mean, I think that's that's what kind of helped me. And I still struggle now. Like I can't really do two things at once. I can't pat my head and rub my tummy. Right. So like yeah. playing the piano, I'm not great at, but like I find my way, you know? And it, I think I just realized that in order to kind of stop being a pub singer and a wedding singer and move into being an artist, I had to have my own music. And in order to write my own music, I probably needed to play an instrument. Mm. So um, that's kind of why I did it. And when was that? When did you start, as you got this little keyboard at home and stuff, when did you start sketching out what would have been your first songs? Yeah, so I, I was 16 and um, obviously got that tiny little keyboard, taught myself piano, and then it was then that my dad was like, right, okay, you're doing pub gigs like every, because I, I was 16, I think, and I was singing in a restaurant, a fine dining restaurant doing jazz every Friday um, with a live pianist. And then I was doing pubs every Saturday and then weddings occasionally. So he was like, right, I will buy you your first Roland 
like stage piano and you can just pay me back every week with the money that you earn from your gigs just do like a higher purchase <laughs> um and and that's kind of when I started writing my own stuff was when I had that that big keyboard um and I started entering like local competitions where you couldn't enter unless you had your own music so it kind mm. of forced me to to write um and really like my first song was six minutes long I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> I thought I was on some mad Coldplay stuff but like <laughs> I mean no one wants to listen to a first single that's six minutes long so um I really had to fine-tune it but um yeah you know got there <laughs> got there in the end and presumably I mean that's great actually being able to do original stuff within within those kind of pub gigs and I guess once you got the the bug for doing it it was quite I mean it all happened quite quickly and and it was that did you take to writing melody and lyrics quite quickly yeah it's it's funny because the way that I write now is so different to the way mm. that I used to write because I I used to sit myself down when I was like 16 17 and go okay today so we're going to write a song for Sam Smith and Sam Smith would want to talk about this and they would sing it like this and I think I used to write songs for other people and not necessarily experiences that I'd gone through whereas now I find it so incredibly difficult to write something that I don't feel mm-hmm. um so yeah I think I just used to write in any genre and I used to do a lot of dance top lines as well and like one of the first kind of releases I ever did was um a song that I I wrote in and recorded in my brother's bedroom at the age of 17 sent it to a producer on Twitter and like Danny Howard was remixing it and playing it on Radio 1 and I was 17 going what I don't have like management or a label I don't know what I'm doing so I think my whole the whole start to my career was very much a fluke and like when I, I was singing in the restaurant when I was 16 um I had a lovely couple come and watch me every week who eventually just sort of said you know what do you want to do do you want to like release music and I was like like, yes but I don't know how and I don't have any money and they just said they really wanted to help me out and so we made I wrote an EP and recorded it in my in my local recording studio and they funded it and they took me to Abbey Road to master it and I was like 17 years old going like this just doesn't happen like to have just complete strangers want to help you so much and progress your career was was wild to me and there are people that are still helping now and very much invested in my career and like want to want to see me succeed and all they ever said to me was like we just want tickets to the Brit Awards when you win in one. (laughs) so yeah I think I was just very very lucky to to have people just want to see me do well and and that kind of pushed me to really work hard and what were the what were the songs that were on that AP were they songs that that have been covered what you've you've redone recently or no no so these were it was an EP called um, My Kingdom and I think there's still a few on YouTube if you search the (laughs) deep dark depths but um yeah they they got removed when I went on X Factor right so yeah they were released in 2016 stayed up for about a year do you think that what from the X Factor point of view was that something that the people at X Factor had actually heard um, I mean, I wasn't sure what your journey was there. I mean, were you approached for X Factor or did you sign up for X Factor? So yes and no. Basically, I went to a psycho talent scout day in Lancaster when I was 17. Um, and they asked me from that day to audition for Britain's Got Talent. So I did when I was 17 and I performed My Kingdom, which was the title track of my EP, um, which I don't think was released at the time. And I sat in front of the judges, sang at the live like, grand piano and got four yeses and then didn't get through to the live semi-final. And they removed me from the show because they said, actually, we'd prefer you to, to go on X Factor. Mm. Um but for me, I I wanted to sing my own stuff and that wasn't really done on X Factor at the time. So I said no. Um, and they kept asking me for, for three years um, and I kept saying no until they were like, go on, then you can sing your own stuff if you want to. <laughs> but you were, I mean, that's, I think people forget actually that how groundbreaking that was because, you know, at the time it, X Factor wasn't wasn't geared towards artists it was geared to I mean it was geared towards artists but it was very much come on do covers you know there was it was very rare and also almost used to be the kiss of death when someone would say 
I'm going to do my own song. Yeah. Um, so it was a it was a very brave thing to do, but also I think it it almost gave X Factor the extra few years of life. Um, it reinvigorated the brand massively, I think. Totally. I mean, I think it, it doesn't take an idiot to see that X Factor was obviously not at its prime anymore. And I think that was that was something that scared me a little because I thought, well, this could either be the making or the breaking of me if I go on this show. And um, I think I just thought, however far I get, if I go on and I do my own stuff and I showcase who I am as an artist, well, at least if I don't get very far, I stuck to my guns and I did what I wanted to do. And um, I think as well, I just, I was baffled as to why it hadn't been done before, because when you do look at singer-songwriters and just anyone who's doing music these days, it's, they normally write their own stuff. Mm. So for for X Factor to kind of not do that, it was weird to me because it's just so normal within the industry. Um, so yeah, I, I I kind of just I just said to them I I I will only do it if I if I can sing my own stuff. And I didn't really know how long that would I would be allowed to do that for. I thought maybe the first audition and maybe boot camp, but after that I'd probably have to do rock week and swing mm. week and all of that. Um, but they they were quite accommodating actually. It's uh, there's a lot that's been said about X Factor, especially recently. But one of the things that I always say is from a positive point of view is the music team there is incredible and they've got such so amazing from everyone from from you know from Simon down but also you know the guys that kind of are involved in the music side and someone like Annabelle who works on it all the time and they yeah. just have you know there are people in, in that show that only cared about the artists and the music and yeah. I think that's so important to look back, you know, with things that have happened recently and people have looked back at it in a slightly different light. The one thing that I thought was really great was there were a lot of people in there that just wanted the best for the people that were on it. Definitely. And I think when when you're on it, it's very easy to get swept up in the reality TV side of it. And I think that was probably one of the most damaging things for me is that I kind of forgot that I was going on to a TV show because mm. I was like, I just want to be a singer and I just want to sing my own songs. And I kind of got swept up in that whole TV thing that I didn't particularly enjoy. But I remember every week being just so blown away by the fact that I had an incredible vocal coach, Annie, as you said. Mm. And then I had like Biff and Ash Howes working on my my demos who were just such a dream to work with mm. and the loveliest people. And, and because they were my own songs as well, they treated them with such respect. And, and especially for me, if I ever got given a backing track, because that would happen. Like you'd, you'd go on stage for a dress rehearsal and you'd never have heard the backing track to your own song before. Mm. And you'd be like, oh, what's happened to this one? Where's, which direction has this gone in? And if I ever phoned up Biff and was like, would you mind if we did this, this and this to it? He'd be like, absolutely, this is your music. We're, we'll make you happy. And they were just so accommodating, so lovely and, and made me feel like a professional artist. And I had like the makeup team and the hair team and the styling and all of this stuff going on stage behind me that just made me feel really comfortable with who I am as an artist and and kind of portrayed my music the way that I wanted it to be which was it was mind-blowing and it's I mean Biff's obviously a friend of mine and and I know yeah. that he's he loved work you know that's he the the best times he had working on that show was working with with artists that he could just you know really kind of do something with did you have did you have roots before you auditioned for X Factor or did you write it because you knew you were going to be on it no, so I, I had it before and it was actually in the time where I was declining the X Factor and saying that I didn't want to do it because mm -hmm. I I was putting together an EP and I'd written some songs that were all right. And then I wrote Roots and I was like, ha, that's the song that I've kind of been waiting to write. Mm. And, and I just knew that there was something in that song. And so when X Factor approached again, I was like, look, I'm going to release an EP this year. Like I've, I'm with a management team now, like we're going to do it independently. Like that's my plan. Um, so I've got all these songs. So unless I can kind of sing roots, then I don't want to, I don't want to audition. Um, so I got invited into, into the psycho um, label offices and we had a big meeting and it was this really bizarre meeting actually, because it was being recorded on camera, like 
when we were talking about me potentially auditioning and it, mm. everything just felt very, very strange. And I remember walking out that meeting and just crying to my manager. I mean, I'm a massive crier anyway, <laughs> but I was just like, I don't know what to do because this is not the route that I'd planned, but it could be amazing. And if I can go on there and sing roots and, and potentially sing more of my songs, then that, that could be really great. Um, so it, it did feel like a big risk, but I think one that paid off. It definitely did. And, I, and there, you know, at the time there is no bigger exposure. And I do think it's about what you do with it after it's finished. You know, yeah. it's about how you kind of, how you take the exposure that you've had and the people that you've been able to get to and kind of what you do with that. And obviously you got very, very close, you know, right up to the very end. Um, was, was there, was there part of you that was kind of relieved that you didn't win it Um, or did you want it? The only time I ever wanted to win was on the final night. Right. So, and I know it sounds like something someone would say after they haven't win, like after they haven't won, like, oh, I didn't want to win anyway. But I, I really, me and my manager had this conversation. It was like, right, gee, you've got a tick list of like three things. Number one, sing as many original songs as you can. Number two, try and get signed. And number three, don't win. Um, because everyone talks about the curse of the winner yeah, and all yeah. of that. And and it was it was very much that. And I did all of those three those three things but yeah it was only on on the final final night when it was just me and Raksu and it was like it was so like touching distance I was just so very nearly there and that was the only time that I I really did want to win but I think I now looking back I wouldn't have been able to do roots in the way that I wanted to um because I, I, another thing that I, I thought was bizarre about the way that the winner's single was done on our year was that it wasn't recorded. It, we never went into a studio. We never laid down a vocal. And I remember being behind like the sliding doors about to find out who's won. And I, I said to one of the producers, like, so if I win, is, is Roots going to get released at, at midnight? And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, but I've not recorded it. And they went, oh, they they recorded you and Paloma during soundcheck earlier. And I was like, huh? Like, no, no one told me this. <laughs> no, And it was like a live vocal. And you you can hear that when you listen to, to Raxu's winner single. Like, it's on the stage mm. in the XL in London. And it's like, it's not even an arena. And it's it's echoey. And it's mm. it's, no one was really concentrating because they didn't know it was being recorded. And it was just very bizarre. Um, so I'm kind of glad that that didn't happen to Roots. Um, and especially now, having been able to release it independently, um, it's nice to own the master and and do it that way, the way I had always intended to release it. Yeah, no, it definitely worked out for the best. And of course, that's, you know, the old days of the X Factors winner single where everyone would sing the same song, you know, that yeah. you'd gone past that. But um, no, I, I think that that did work out. But obviously the what you did get out of it was a, was a record deal. Um, uh, do you remember coming off the show? Was there discussions about what, what you would make? Cause I mean, in the old days, psycho, and, and by the way, I know Psycho's not around anymore, but, um, there's some, again, incredibly brilliant, talented people that work at that record company. And, and actually Simon himself, I've always said is, one of the best um set of ears in the business and i find it a real shame that he he doesn't do that anymore because i think he's um he's brilliant but i mean what they used to do is even if you came second or third they would rush release everything but they got to a point where they were like no we'll take our time and we'll get it right so did you start having meetings about what you wanted to do quite quickly yeah so i i think it was the semi-final um, so Sharon Osborne was my mentor and I was in her dressing room and I remember her saying to me, Simon's going to sign you. And I was like, mm, I, I don't think so. And she went, oh, no, he's already told me. And I was like, OK, but I, I still took ev- I just kind of learned to take everything with a pinch mm. of salt by that point. Um, so it was about a week after the final and um, we got invited into the psycho offices um, and it wasn't Simon. It was Tyler, who was the MD. Um and I think it was Guy Langley as well, who would have been my A&R at the mm-hmm. time and um, me and my manager. And it was a very laid back offer 
as in like, I'd, I don't know, maybe I've just watched too many romanticized music industry films um, where you get like the photograph and the popping of the champagne, but I didn't get any of that. It was very much like, yeah, we're going to sign you and yeah, that, you know, we'll just see how it goes. And I was like, okay. Um, and I remember distinctively Tyler saying, you know, not saying take five years, but like, take your time to make an album, like, don't rush it. And I was just thinking, nah, I'm not, I'm not taking any time. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I, I got straight into writing sessions and I really did like the speed dating. And I, I think I wrote like 200 songs that, that year. It was, it was wild. I was doing like five, six sessions a week. Um, and it, it was, it was crazy and I was knackered, but I had an album by the end of 2018, I had an album and that was probably one of the most frustrating things was that I was ready, but they weren't. And that uh, also, that would mean that really for you, it would have been when you were saying about your speed dating, you, not only that, you've gone from writing songs on your own to then all of a sudden being in rooms with people. So you've got to get used to that as well. Yeah, and, and, and it, that it, was it. It's a weird thing. Is that I've tried to explain to people how weird it is walking into a room with people you've never met and said, "Okay, let's let we haven't ever met each other." Hello, I'm this, I'm that. Right, let's bare our souls. Yeah, it's weird, it, isn't it? it is- it's the strangest thing and it took me because I'm someone that sort of deals with their emotions privately and if I'm going through something I tend to just lock myself away and not tell anyone Mm. so especially if you're trying to write from a personal place you've got to kind of express those feelings to people you've never met before and be like so here's what's going on in my life this boy's effed me over and this has happened (laughs) and it's so so bizarre and I think especially like you said I I I'd only ever written by myself to, so it was a massive like difference and something that I had to adapt to very, very quickly. But now I, I mean, I've, I've started writing by myself again recently because of lockdown, but I think for at least three years, I found it really difficult to write by myself because I'd kind of forgotten how, because yeah. I got so used to being in sessions. So yeah, it's very different. 200 songs is a lot of songs, but I like that as well. I do think, you know, that's that whole Chris Martin adage of, you know, you've got to write a lot until you get there. But also it's about the rooms you walk into. And if you're going to walk into a room that's got people like Lauren Aquilina and Adam Algarl in it, you know that you're onto a good thing, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I have been a fan of Lauren since I was 15, I think. And Mm. I was one of those weirdos that used to like stand outside places she was in. and wait to get her autograph and like have a photo with her and now she's one of my best friends and we do laugh about it but she probably knows I'm an absolute weirdo um but I just I loved her and I've always loved her her writing style and I think that was something as a writer that very much inspired me and I I kind of wanted what she had um so to actually not only just call her my friend but like have have songs that she's written and written with me that I've released is is mind-blowing how did um, Invisible come about? Do you remember? Yeah, so I was actually about to go to the Psycho Summer Party. So Simon Cowell hosted um, the Psycho Summer Party, which would be him and all of his like famous friends and everyone that worked at the label and everyone that worked on the TV shows and lots of the artists that were signed to Psycho and it'd be held at the V&A Museum and he'd do it every summer. And it was my first one that I'd ever been invited to. And I was really struggling mentally after the TV show. And I think just everything that had happened, I was just not adjusting very well. And I really wanted like anything else other than to get papped outside a party and hang around with famous people because I just felt so crap and I remember going into that session and speaking to Lauren about it because she'd kind of been through this weird like not wanting to do music anymore Mm -hmm. time and and Adam who is such a sensitive soul anyway I just felt very very comfortable with them both to express exactly how I was feeling and know that they had related at some point um and it was I still think to this day that was probably the most special session I've ever had not because we got such an honest song out of it but because it was the only 
session I've ever had where there was no demo made. Like Adam's an incredible producer, but we just wrote it on over one like note, literally one finger on a keyboard, a synth just held. And I've still got the voice note on my phone of just me singing it into my phone. That's all we made that day because we were so dedicated to the lyric that nothing else really mattered. And I've never had a session like that since then. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very, very special one. And I still think very fondly of it now. And when it came to the record, obviously you did the, that that demo, when it actually came to making the record, was that something that you then went back in and did the demo or was there a vocal that you left with Adam that he started playing around with for the track? So I went to Adam's studio and I very, I've, I've always found it weird because I have always had like a producer's head without the engineer's hands. Mm -hmm. And I could always hear where I wanted to go production wise, but I just didn't know how to produce. So mm. I found it frustrating, but also amazing that I could sit next to someone and kind of guide them in a way and, and collaborate in that way. So when I went to Adam's studio, I was like, this is what I'm hearing. Here are my inspirations tracks. I kind of want this to do this there. And we, we laid down a vocal and then Lauren came up another day because we hadn't quite got it. Um, and she, both, all three of us sat around trying to like figure out the production because I think we knew we had a special lyric. We needed to make the song, like the whole thing as special. Um, so it, it was definitely a really hard one to produce that actually ended up being produced by someone else. Mm. Um, when I went to, to Stockholm um, in 2019 to produce the whole EP, Elias Kapari took it on and we used a lot of Adam's like vocals and vocoder and things like that. Um, but it was nice to just have someone that wasn't so close to the song mm. and didn't care as much about the lyric and everything like that to just kind of step away and produce it. Um, and that's kind of how we mastered it. Did it always have that first vocoder breakdown? Yeah. yeah. Because I think that's the one thing I remember about hearing it initially was the doubling the kind of the lyrical content with the rawness of just it being like, I mean, that just, I, that literally blew me away when I first heard it because you you yeah. can do nothing but listen to the lyrics because there's nothing else to hear. Yeah, and that that was the main thing that I I said I wanted, and it's it's kind of nerdy, but I did um, a level drama and we studied something called four forty four psychosis, where this woman was she had a lot of mental issues and she would wake up every day at four forty four and all she could hear was the sound of a ticking clock and it just made her feel like time was dragging and it she'd just zone in on that and I was like that's that's kind of what you feel like when you're depressed or anything it's just like time is moving so slowly and you can't hear anything other than the madness that's going on inside your head and that's what I really wanted to to kind of get with when that chorus does drop out and you've got nothing but my voice and silence and then a ticking clock comes in like like you said you can't help but focus on it um so yeah nerdy but I just I loved I loved making it I don't think it's nerdy I think it's honest and I think you know the one thing that that goes across everything that you've done is vocally is is it's it's a storytelling vocal and it's a it just it has an honesty to it. It doesn't sound like one of those vocals where you've done 20 takes of each verse. Do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like a performance. Yeah. And I think that can get lost sometimes within modern music that people mm -hmm. will just focus on being particularly precise. And yeah. I've always, in any records I've ever made, I go believability first. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I very much agree. Like all, pretty much all of my songs are the demo vocal because mm. for some reason you can put me in the fanciest studio to re-record a vocal and I will never capture the same magic that I did when I'd just written it. Um, and especially Somebody, which I've, I've just released my last song, that was recorded on an SM7 and there's such a hiss going <laughs> through the vocal. But I just, I've re-recorded it so many times and we were just like, no, it's just not, it's just not the same. Um, so yeah, I'm very much with you on just, the, there's something that happens when I lay down a vocal just after writing it on the same day that it always sticks for me. Yeah, I think it happens quite a lot. And I've, I've always said to people, you know, if you can, I mean, you can't always do it, but if you can try and make sure that you even doing a rough demo, just 
Yeah, record it well. <laughs> record it well, or even just record it on something that you could, you know, think that you might use, even if it's on a SM58. And I mean, you know, there's an incredible producer, John Green, who's done so many, written so many great songs. And he just, he has his whole studio is almost like a microphone. There's just microphones everywhere. And even if it, you know, and there's, you know, I mean, Biff actually records a lot. His, a lot of his vocals on S, on SM58 in the room. He yeah. hates using vocal booths. Yeah, that was something that I, I'd never done before. When I, I wrote with Biff, I think, 2018, and he handed me this microphone and he's just like, every idea you get, just like singing. Yeah. And I'm I'm really bad at improvising. Like if someone puts me in a vocal booth and they're like, just do some ad libs. I'm like, oh, um, God, no. <laughs> I don't know Nightmare. what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really struggled with that. And I think whenever sometimes people will hand me an SM7 in a, in a thing and they're like, we'll just record the vocal later, but just lay in whatever you've got now. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was definitely something I've had to adjust to as well. Yeah. So that and, you know, a, a few of the other songs on there, including, by the way, Amsterdam, which I noticed is like probably your biggest streamed song. It is. Yeah. People yeah. Really just connect to that. It's hit five million streams on Spotify this week, which is wild. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's like the biggest number I've ever had. And um, yeah, I don't I don't know what it was about that song. And I, I think I kept saying to people when I was about to release it, I was like, if you love Roots, you'll love Amsterdam. They're very mm. similar, like the strings. And, mm. and I think, I don't know what it was that, that connected so much about that song. Um, but I think it's, it's something that I, I love about those songs that I make is like somebody like Roots, like Amsterdam, they are kind of timeless ballads that you could listen to in 20 years and would still not sound dated in a way, mm. um, which I always resonate with the most. Um, so maybe that's what I had in it. And so that EP originally it did come out on Psycho before the end of Psycho. But what mm -hmm. I mean, again, you've probably asked, been asked this a million times, but was that a conscious decision not to include Roots on it? Or was there another reason not to include it? I think so. When we started talking about an EP, so obviously I was signed into a, an album deal with Psycho mm. and we got about two and a half years into me just like writing and writing and writing. And we just sort of said, look, we, but this needs, something needs to happen now because Grace has got enough songs. Mm. She's got her first single. She's got everything like, let's go. So we actually ended up releasing through the orchard, which um, is a, a Sony label ish, but it's more like label distribution um and psycho funded it but i actually got handed over to the orchard team and psycho sort of said you know do do an ep through the orchard and maybe doing another ep through the mm -hmm. orchard and if it goes well then we'll take you back um so yeah it was it was kind of off my contract and weird and i think we all sort of sat down and went wouldn't it be strange if i've taken two and a half years away writing and then the first song that you put out yeah. is the same song you, yeah. you sang on the show so those four songs it was a conscious decision not to have roots on the ep however that ep was supposed to set up roots um and we had the budget signed off by psycho to release roots in september 2020 obviously not realizing that the label would shut down in august <laughs> and i mean how was that when you heard that news um pretty terrible pretty terrible i i mean i am such an overthinker and i always fear the worst and the amount of times that my manager had been called in for a meeting to psycho for something completely like irrelevant and I've been going I'm gonna get dropped I can feel it in my bones I'm getting dropped and it never happened but that one there was something strange we knew it because obviously the EP came out in the worst possible time in the world it was middle of coronavirus panic it was black lives matter which obviously and rightly so took over everybody's social media pages and any like news outlets or anything it was it was just the worst time to drop an ep um but it went quiet it went really really quiet and there was no communication from the label i guess as it was releasing and directly after um 
and I knew something was going on, but I, I didn't expect that. And we basically got a phone call to say, Simon's left the label. Um, we don't know what's happening, but all artists are under review. Um, and at, it was at that time that I said, you know, if they're going to keep anyone, it's not going to be me because I've only put four songs out and they've not done that. You know, they've not shook the world, have they? <laughs> they've not set the world on fire. So I, I thought they're going to keep like the James Arthurs and Camila Cabellos and Noah Cyruses of the world and and I'll I'll get let go. So I kind of prepared myself for it, but I didn't prepare myself for the label to just go. And it was like maybe five or six weeks of waiting. They said, oh, we'll probably know in around a week's time and we'll let you know what's going on radio silence um for about five five weeks until I think well I spoke to my A&R about it and she said that everyone just got invited into a zoom call everyone that worked at Psycho and everyone was made redundant and all artists were dropped and it was just it was brutal and there was no communication from anyone I never spoke to anyone from the label ever again um apart from my A&R and that was it Wow. Yeah. So how long did it take you to process that information and then come up with a plan of what to do next? I mean, I, I would like to say that I took at least two weeks to just cry in bed <laughs> <laughs> because I think I I just felt like obviously everything that was going on in the world in 2020 was mad. Um, so that was kind of a very poopy icing on top of a poopy cake um, mm. that kind of felt like, oh, maybe that's just like a sign that I should just quit. Um, maybe that's just like being dealt some cards. It's like, that was that was your run and that was sweet, but it's time to move on. Um, but it was actually, I think it was I Met a Boy Online, which I wrote with Francis. In- and how did how did you get to meet her? Um, I actually got put in a session with her. So I was talking to Universal Publishing um, in 2017, 2018. And they said, who are your inspirations? And I was like, "Uh, Francis, hello. Uh, She's amazing. Um, So I got put in the session with her and Jinjin to write somebody. That was the first song we ever wrote. And me and Francis just really clicked. Um, and we got for lunch together and write songs together and and just chat and even now we like FaceTime each other and make macaroni and cheese over FaceTime and it's just like we just created a really good friendship so during lockdown I'd actually written um the first verse and chorus to I Met A Boy Online at like three o'clock in the morning in my flat and I said to Francis like I just need I need to finish it um because I really like it and we wrote that during lockdown before the psycho shut down but it went viral on TikTok and people were really demanding it. And so when the psycho thing shut down, I I knew I owed it to people to release that song. So mm. that was that was my plan. In I would I think it was October that I shot the artwork for it. So it must have been pretty quickly. If if we found out the psycho information in August, I must have got my act together pretty quickly <laughs> um, to to be like, yep, yeah, we're gonna carry on. And and that was more of like. I'm going to drop this single. It was never planned to be on the second EP. That was never a plan. Um, and I had Iris from, um, I got approached by Love Island to do a cover and I chose Iris and did it in one take. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to drop these two songs as kind of like just to fill a void and fill a bit of space and time before I put another project together. Um, so that was, yeah, that was always my plan to put that one out. Um, and that's what kept me kept me going, I think. Frances, for anyone that doesn't know, has she hasn't done many of them, but she's got an amazing podcast called Ditty yeah. in a Dash. Yes. Which is, I'd highly recommend, because if anyone, like what we do for a living, we kind of take for granted. But I think for people that don't understand songwriting, it's a really mm-hmm. great, it's basically she gives people, have, I don't, have you done it? I can't remember if you... I have. Yeah, I've done yeah. it. Yeah. I thought you had, yeah. yeah. It gives people basically 20 minutes or something just to kind of come up with the song. And for anyone that has ever wanted to sort of, be a fly on a wall in a writing session it's a really good one because there's so much of you know here's an idea it's not very good but it's kind of like this you know the the most overused phrase in a writing session is right it's not this but it's (laughs) here's a terrible idea but not this (laughs) yeah yeah. this is really awful and it's definitely definitely not this but kind of this 
Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I'm so glad that's a universal thing. <laughs> yeah, because we all know that like everyone's frightened to kind of be the one in the room to go, what about this? Mm. So you always preempt it with, even if you think it's good, you just always yeah. preempt it with a, well, here's an idea. It's probably not, it's, I don't even know why I'm even going to say it. <laughs> yes. But we all that's understand so it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We all, we, we all understand it. So at, presumably at this point that you started to think about the fact that you might need to have a bit of a setup yourself and, and learn a bit more about how to record and produce. Yeah. And, and Francis was actually the person to help me with that because she is a great producer and actually something that I'd never really worked with female producers or female uh, masters or mixing engineers or anything I did a few writing camps in 2019 that were all female based and and Francis was actually someone that that really put me into it because I remember our first session with with Jinjin and Francis my A&R at Psycho was like and we need to get a producer in the room um well I'll I'll, I'll find a producer and Francis just went no no I've got this thank you um and I really loved that from her and and just the fact that she's like, nope, I can do these things myself, thanks. Um, and when I was, when we were in lockdown and we did write, I met a boy online and I could have, I, I didn't have this mic. I didn't have my SM7. I just had, I think, I don't think I had anything actually at that point. And I just said, you know, if I'm not going to be in studios with people, what do I need? What do I need? I've got logic and I know my way around it. I've been using it for years but what's a great mic I need? What's a great interface I need? What plugins are going to really help me to do the songs I want to do? I just need, you know, some nice pads and like nice pianos. And she was like, here's a list, here's the links. And she mm -hmm. really, really helped me. And over FaceTime, she'd be like, here's how you use it. And here's how you install it. And she was such a great person to have during that period. Um, and yeah, I just, I always looked at her and, and came out of writing sessions with her and admired the demos that she could put together, being an incredible artist, obviously, but also an amazing writer and an amazing producer. And I was like, I want to be able to do that one day. Um, so yeah, she was, she was a great help. It's so handy having people like that. I think, especially the beginning of lockdown, there were so many singers, um, that, uh, that that I know that I was you know similar sort of thing that all ask the same question like what's the mic what you know how do I do this how do I? and and it's learning a whole bunch of things but I think it's a really good skill set to have I mean there's still something about being in a room you know with three people that is you know and like making a record and like producing a record that's great but you know especially for you when you're putting down ideas and harmonies and stuff just to know mm -hmm. and as you say what's great what you said just then is you already knew your way around the software. Yeah. So you kind of had that. Because for a lot of people in in 2020, they'd never even opened Logic or GarageBand or anything. No, um, no. So that it was the whole learning process for them, whereas you'd already had a bit of that, which is good. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's something that I picked up, you know, in my early stages when I was like 16, 17, I used to write behind, by myself, like, how are you going to record a song if you don't know how to use these things? So again, it was just something that I taught myself when I was very young on on youtube tutorials and things but actually i it's it's funny what you said about about writers kind of being like i, I have this idea but it's not it's not great you you'll be able to do it better and I, I had that actually when i was making this last ep especially toothbrush um i actually recorded a lot of the stems myself here mm. and sent them over to my producer marcus and i was like i have all these ideas like that that whole outro section i like produced and i was like I want this, but you'll be able to do it better. And he just went, no, and just used all my stems. And he was like, this is great. Like, don't doubt yourself. And I think it's it's really funny because I, I'm so new to production that I just thought, oh, well, these are sounds that sound kind of like what I want, but probably not. And for him to be like, no, this is great. We're going to use this. It's it's kind of installed a bit of faith in myself, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a fantastic sounding record. I mean, it, it absolutely is. And so, I mean, that's that's to be applauded because, and as you say, you've had this, what you call a producer brain, you've kind of had it for a while. There's that thing that um, Quincy Jones always said this thing that the way that he makes records is he imagines what they sound like in his head and then he figures out how to go and make them. Yeah. And it sounds like you've got a similar kind of thing, whereas you've kind of got an idea of what it should sound like. Yes. Yeah. And I, I always, I always have, but I think before I just had to 
go, okay, here's a song. You know that sound that they've got there. I yeah, want that I there. Want that. And now I actually have the ability to be like, okay, here's the sound that I've made. Can we put this here? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 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 a little bit easier now. And Toothbrush sounds to me like one of those songs that literally, it sounds like one of those songs, and, and I may be wrong, but the, the first line was the, was the whole song, basically. The moment you had that first line, the rest of it wrote itself, right? Yes, yes. So I actually wrote the whole of the first verse as a chorus, um, which I'm not sure says a lot about my songwriting skills, but I I wrote it in my in my flat and took it in to to Adam in a session that we were in, and I was singing it very differently. And and yeah, that that first verse was my chorus, and he was like, "It's amazing, but what an opening line that would be." Mm. Um, so it's it is nice sometimes to just sometimes you get so stuck in your own head. And to have someone with fresh ears come in and be like, that's great. But what if we did this? You're like, ah, oh, you've just unlocked something for me there. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was a really fun one to write, actually. And the, the singles, I mean, I presume it was always the plan. And this is very much what's happening a lot now. And a lot of people do is it was always going to be track, 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 track. That then leads leading, always leading up to the EP. But yeah. again, independently produced, yeah. which is quite I mean, I know you said that there's a couple of people that have been helping you out, which is fantastic. But mm. at the same point, it's hard doing it on your own. Yeah, it is. And I think it mentally it's it's been a bit of a challenging year because of the financial side of it. You know, I, I did give up as soon as the psycho thing kind of imploded. I was living in a flat in London and I knew that I had to give it up. Mm. Um and I moved back here with my parents and I'm very, very lucky to be in a position where I don't have to pay them any board. And they have been like, just come back and be creative. And that's all we want. Um, but I'm still now in a position where I'm like, do I need a Facebook ad or do I need petrol? Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm constantly battling between actually living my life and paying for my career. Um, but I think it's there is nothing more special than being able to look at that EP and go, I own that. And I did that. And I had a very, very small team and we all worked our absolute bums off and created something that I'm so eternally proud of. Um, so yes, independent is ridiculously hard, but it's so rewarding. And, you know, you've always had what I've always admired about what you do is the quality control is impeccable. I mean, even though to anyone outside, because most people don't really understand whether or not something's independent or if it's paid for. They just yeah. see you putting something out. So it's got to sound a certain way. It's got to look a certain way. There's got to be a mm -hmm. video. that it, to, to them, nothing. if you did something that's like 50%, they wouldn't understand it. Yeah. And yeah. it's quite hard to do. Musically, it's a bit easier because you work with fantastic people. But then when it comes to the visuals and everything, it's it's tough. It's it's very tough and it's something that I, I really pull my hair out over, but I've always been very, very hands-on. And it's actually something that I really struggled with when I was signed and I did have all these teams because I was so used to doing my own, making my own logo and doing mm. my own graphics and filming my own videos and editing them myself. And I've always been very, very hands-on over everything that when I did have all these teams, I found it really hard to like let go of that control. So actually gaining that control back this, this past year has been, has been great. And my manager always says like, Grace's mindset is if she doesn't do it herself, it won't get done properly. And it's, it is really, I mean, I, I trust people and I, I have to because people have their jobs because that that's what they're good at. Mm. But I, I have to be on, like on it as well um and because i have i do have a strong vision and i find it hard to let go of of things and leave them to someone else so um yeah i think it's i don't know there's just always a lot going on in my head and i can see things when i make a song i can see the music video and i can see the artwork um but that's i don't know it's it's my baby i have to care i guess <laughs> and you can hear a string section on somebody and make it happen yeah that's impressive. That, that was so special. That was one I, of my I love that. I love that video you posted of that, of like you just listening to that for the first time. Yeah. 
it's, I mean, like I said, I'm a massive crier and it's like the first emotion that comes out of me in any situation. But that was just, it was so lovely because we actually brought my, my A&R, Michaela London, who was my A&R at Psycho for my last year at Psycho. Um, and we really felt like our time together got cut short um, and we had such a special like bond and she really understood me and my music. So we actually brought her back to A&R this EP. Hmm. Um, and sending her the video of me listening to the strings for the first time, she sent me a video back of her crying at my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just both sat there bawling our eyes out at a bloody string section. But it was just, I'd never had, Amsterdam is is fake strings, you know, mm. they're amazing. Props to Adam, because yeah. they're so great. But just to have real strings on something. Um, and then I was kind of given all the stems and I sort of put them where I wanted them and yeah. I did the same thing with Roots and and it was just really really lovely to be able to work with that. Roots is a really good example of one of the things that happens a lot on this podcast are these kind of little sliding doors moments these kind of things that happen that at the time you don't really understand but I feel with Roots that it, it always had this path and it had to go everything that happened that was pretty awful for you to go through as you say, it led you to a place where that one song got released in the format that you wanted it to, owned yeah. by you at exactly the right time. And yeah. it's already achieving the, your dreams for it. Yeah, it's it's actually exceeded my expectations. And I have never been so nervous to put something out, actually. And I don't know why, because I knew that the fans longed for it. I'd I'd spent four years receiving messages every day about that <laughs> song. Um, but I think that was maybe why it's just that I felt a lot of pressure. And I remember the the day before I released it, I was the least excited anyone could be about a release. Mm. Um, I was I was petrified. Um and I just I thought it was gonna flop. I really, really thought it was gonna flop. Um and it was the hardest song I've ever had to put together as well, because I had to be sensitive that people loved the audition version and people loved the X Factor final version with all the bells and whistles. But I knew that there was like an in-between that mm. I wanted and had always visioned for that song, I guess. Um, so it was really, really hard. We've had three different people produce it and and scrapped wow. it. And wow. it was it, yeah, it was it was a really difficult one to get right. And even with the version that we ended up releasing, I remember we were under such a time pressure to send them all to master. Um, and when we were in mix, I was like, oh, just just send it. Like yeah. it's it's not how I want it, but just send it. Um and I really had to, I think it was about three months I didn't listen to it. Mm. I, I had the master and I just didn't I didn't press play because I just thought I I don't like it and it's not what I wanted but I don't know how to make it better and it was only when I listened to it with fresh ears that I was like oh goosebumps <laughs> hello um so yeah it was it was a really 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 difficult one but I think like you said it's I always plan to release it independently um except now in comparison to if I would have released it independently before the show mm. I have an amazing fan base who've really they stepped up like they they said they would support that song and they really did mm. um and like streaming wise it blew my mind and just like radio support and yeah the playlist the, the top 40 thing yeah. and playlist and everything it was just like not yeah way beyond my expectations well i think i mean i think it's well deserved i i was interested to see that uh well you and a few other people um reposted the the Chelsea Cutler comments from a few days ago. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, because I don't often get a chance to ask someone that's actually in it about this now. I mean, what is how what are your views on, let's say, providing content over being and trying to be an artist? It's it's the most stressful part of the job because if you look back to the days of like the Beatles, um where they wrote music and they performed music and they toured and that's what they did. Um, I now feel like I write music, I produce music, release music, perform it, but I'm also a YouTuber and a content creator that feels this pressure to go viral. And I think there is a slight 
I don't know if this is a really bad thing to say, but a slight laziness in the way that songs get released nowadays. It's like labels kind of want a song to go viral before they put it out because it gives some ammunition for people to download it as soon as it comes out. And that is a huge pressure. And and TikTok is an amazing platform for things to go viral. We've seen it with Roots and I'm mm-hmm. at a boy online. They've both done so well on TikTok and I'm so grateful for that. But then there is this pressure constantly from teams going, you need to post a TikTok today, like do it this time because that's when people are most going to be online and like put this song out because you're going to release that in a week and hopefully it'll go viral before you get it out and then people will download it. I'm like, ah. <laughs> um, so it, there is a lot of pressure on artists to to create that content as well, like film yourself and and it's knowing what's going to go viral. Is it going to be me sat in my car listening to it? Is it going to be me crying, listening to it on the radio? Like what, what is it? And I've, I've, I don't post on TikTok. I've, I've posted some videos that I actually only filmed for my memories. So me listening to it, to Roots on Radio 2, or me listening to me getting in the charts. I recorded, filmed me, listening to them for me to watch in 20 years mm. and me putting that on tiktok has gone viral didn't know that was going to happen amazing but how are we supposed to know that that was that would go viral mm. and i think it's that it's that pressure of being that content creator and it's another platform that we've got to think about and instagram reels and all of this stuff that i don't understand is just, it's it's difficult but it goes back to, you know, Simon's old old adage of what he's, you know, one of the things Simon always talked about and loved, especially with people like you, is authenticity. And I think, you know, you're not someone that films something thinking, well, if I do this and do this and do this, then I think it will work. You're just honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that that's that's the difference. I think just with any of that content, it's about you can tell people when people are doing something recording and documenting something that's honest about what they're doing and people that are just trying to just calculatedly do that. And I think that not always, but for me, that's the difference between people that are going to be around for six months and people that are going to be around for like 30 years. Mm. And I think, you know, the one thing about what you're doing is you're putting out a body of work. There's not a single song that you've released that is, has not been of a standard and not that you've, that you've not been happy with. And you will obviously be going out and supporting that live as well. Yeah. And you know your audience. Yes. You know who yes. they are and they know who you are. And that's the that's all that matters. This, I think you doing something for the sake of doing something would get you an audience that wouldn't necessarily, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need. Yeah. And I, I think it's something that uh, I or, I wondered whether it was a blessing or a curse because especially when I was signed to the label, I would get, songs from like Jonas Blue or whoever to feature on Mm. and I'd go into the studio and it'd be like this big dance track that was really cool but I just didn't believe that I was right for it and I would turn things down and I felt like I was peeing people off by being like it's just not it's just not me it's not Mm. if I don't believe in it how can I sell it Mm. um and and I'm very much like that now if I if I write a song or if any any time in my career have I ever had a song that I've not 100% backed I know that I can't put it out because I I wouldn't be able to sell it to my fans and and make them buy it or listen to it because I've got to believe in it first before they can um so yeah I think that's right and I think um I think you've I think it's a, a formula that works really well or, or not a formula an idea that works really well and I think you've only got you know that exact thing you said there you've only got to look at what Maisie's done and and how Maisie Peters has taken everyone thinks that it's an overnight success it's obviously not it's far from it but but the same thing it was just keep doing stuff know your audience you know I remember seeing Mm -hmm. Maisie when she was singing in front of 200 people and then you know the last time I saw her was like 1400 people and now she's doing an American tour this year and signed to Ed and I think it is just about holding your nerve knowing the people that love what you love and just continuing to do that. And then don't worry about all these people over here. You know, yeah. was that that lovely thing that Adele said last year about if everyone's making records for TikTok, who's making records for me? Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. And I think it's it's just something that I, you know, especially when I'm writing a song, it's like I said to you earlier, it, 
I find it really difficult to write a song now that I'm not feeling if I'm not going through that emotion or if I haven't been through that emotion, then I just, I don't write my most believable and relatable lyrics. And that was something that people told me all the way through X Factor was, oh my God, you're so relatable. And at the time I was like, oh, but now I get it because I listen to songs and I relate to them and they become my favorite songs. Um, so you know. Yeah, and also because of your age, there's that thing where people would say, oh, you know, you want to be on this, you know, guesting on this dance track. You want to be this. And it's like, oh, you know, you're too young, you know, for the Radio 2 thing. You you love being on Radio 2. Like yeah. all of your, loads of your favourite artists are on Radio 2. Exactly. So it doesn't mean to say that you don't love some, you know, contemporary stuff on Radio 1, but it's like from the very beginning, you've said your inspiration is Adele. Yes. Uh, from the beginning. So like this is... These are people, and in over the last few years, the, the the ones that have stood out and that have sold the most records, frankly, and continually got people's uh, stayed in people's minds and in their hearts, are are people like Adele or Sam or Ed, who are really just doing what they do and, and writing great songs, and 100%. not and not just putting out tracks. Yeah, and those songs will will still be relevant and timeless in 20 years time or 40 years time yeah um and it's it's like i said the the songs that i listened to growing up in the car is radio too it's you know steve wright playing me yesterday i had a heart attack <laughs> like it's so that's cool amazing cool to that's, me. that's yeah. brilliant isn't it so cool so cool <laughs> I'm, yeah so you must be looking forward to getting out and doing some live stuff yeah i think i mean i've been on stage since i was three so yes. But I mean, releasing, you haven't been allowed to for a little yeah, while. <laughs> exactly. Releasing your first single a month before the world was struck by <laughs> a pajama party um, was less than ideal for for a performer. So yeah, I'm. It's. I did like a mini support tour in September, and it just gave me so much excitement and so. That much was support. with Janet, right? Janet Devlin. Janet Devlin, yeah. 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 So, um, yes, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. I've never performed my songs with a band. I've mm. only ever performed them behind a piano. So, um, yes, I have a lot of plans and a lot of excitement. <laughs> so that's the, that's kind of priority for this year. And I'm, and again, continuing writing, I guess is. Yeah. I mean, in my head, I would like to release two EPs this year. I have a very strict, like, well, I guess schedule for this year of of how I want to release music and what I want to do. Um, but fitting in live stuff is definitely high up on the list. And just to sort of finish off, I get asked this question quite a lot. You probably get asked it even more. Um, for a younger artist that, that's coming up that without obviously the luxury now of a talent show, because there's a few around, but obviously XF is, is no more. Um, what is your little bits of wisdom that you could say to someone that's, that's kind of where you were when you were 16? Oh, that is, that is a question. Um, I, I kind of touched on it before. Like if you, you have to be across everything, you have to believe in everything. And I think I have always just wanted to perfect my craft and do everything possible to make me a better writer and mm -hmm. producer and singer like I just got a guitar for Christmas I have absolutely no idea how to play guitar but I will teach myself mm. and, and I think it's just always doing everything that you can to to better yourself and put yourself out there and just I guess taking every avenue and opportunity that comes comes your way like dance music wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do but it put me in front of people when I did that when I was 17 and I think it's just just keep working and keep keeping on and and um don't let the knockbacks knock you back I guess because I had I mean I did X Factor Britain's Got Talent and The Voice when I was 16 I didn't get past the first producer round and then mm. I came second on X Factor four years later so it's like it, you just got to keep keep going um I don't know it's a really difficult question no, that's a really good answer and I think <laughs> I know it's a hard one for you as not but it's a really good answer because I think that the other thing that you said there, which is true, and I have to say to a lot of people is it, it is a long game. It really, it is. really is, you know, and there's even when people talk about even someone like Dua, 
Um, and I remember working at Psalm with when Dua just started and she was doing little like demos and covers and stuff. And there is no such thing really as an overnight success. There yeah. is such thing as a, a very quick trending TikTok moment in that in four weeks is number one. That yeah. happens a lot, but that doesn't necessarily turn into a career. Yeah, the so, longevity is it's the long game. Yeah. Um, and you just got to keep working. And, you know, I think I've realized this more now than ever is that even after all the successes I've had in 2021, I still feel in a way that I'm in the same position now as I was this time last year, starting another EP independently and doing it all again. Mm. But I know that I'm doing it for a reason because there's people out there that will love my music and I love making music and it's really, really difficult, but you just got to keep keeping on. Well, that's a really good place to end it. And and I've obviously, you know, I've loved everything that you've done. And, you know, I listen to a lot of new artists and a lot of new music. And it's rare to find those gems. And what you do is is definitely that one of those. So uh, star, can't you. wait to see what you do this year and thank beyond. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and, and lovely to, to see you. And you. No, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No worries. All right. I shall, we'll see you soon. Amazing. Thank you. Bye. Bye.